Hi, I'm Steve Anderson, author of The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. And this is a, another show in a series that I put together going through the principles that I talk about in the book. And they really are growth principles that I believe Amazon has used over the years to get to where they are and the size they are today. So right now we're going through different cycles. And in the last show, I went and talked about the test cycle and the three principles in that grouping or that area. Today, I wanna to talk about the next cycle, build. And there are three principles here that we'll go more in depth about. And as a just a reminder, the other two cycles are accelerate and scale both of which we'll talk in depth in a uh, subsequent show. So build, what does that actually mean? Well, at, at Amazon, build is how they turn promising ideas that they invented, discovered, created in that test cycle. If you remember that, we talked a lot about practicing invention and innovation. We talked about betting on big ideas and certainly the encouraging successful failure. But now we're going to take those ideas and, and build upon them and see if they can be um, uh, created into, built into uh, really stable initiatives. So they build by making sure everything they invest in is based on what its customers actually want. So that's the idea behind building, taking those, those uh, again, as Bezos talks about them, those seedlings, right? Those tiny trees and giving them what they need in order to be able to grow. And for Amazon, it means to be able to grow into profitable long-term businesses or uh, initiatives uh, for Amazon. So. The three principles that we're going to talk about are obsess over customers, apply long-term thinking, and understand your flywheel. So principle number one, or, well, actually in this cycle, it's actually principle number four, um, obsess over customers. So I want to read a quote out of the 1998 letter to, to set this up because what I'm finding in talking to people about obsessing over customers, there tends to be uh, this idea of, of, oh, we've got this. You know, we understand customers. We understand we need to take care of them. We understand. But, but what Amazon thinks and what Bezos talks about is much more than that, the whole word obsessive. But listen to what he says. I constantly remind our employees to be afraid to wake up every morning terrified, not of our competition, but of our customers. Our customers have made our business what it is. Again, remember, this is 1998. They've actually only been in business a, full, a few years. Fast forward to today, you know, millions and millions of customers. They, our customers, are the ones with whom we have a relationship, and they are the ones to whom we owe a great obligation, and we consider them to be loyal to us right up until the second that someone else offers them a better service. So think about that, being afraid of your customers because 
we are fickle as customers, right? We find somebody else who can do it a little bit better. We might jump right over there. And so for Amazon, this is really core in how they think. For them, obsessing over customer means everything starts from the customer and builds from there. Now, again, businesses know they need to take care of customers. You know you need to take care of customers. But is it more customer service? Is it customer focus? Is it a customer journey that you take people on? That word obsessive, and that is Bezos' words that he talks about in that very first 1997 letter, I think has a whole different connotation to it. In fact, sometimes it can be negative, right? Somebody's obsessed over this. They're, they're so focused. At Amazon, they're taking the positive aspect of that and saying, everything we do starts with solving a customer problem. And what can we do with that? In fact, they have a process called that's now called, you know, working backwards from what? Well, working backwards from the customer. What problems can we identify that the customer has or what problems has the customer told us about and what can we do to fix those problems? And sometimes those fixes are skills we don't have that we have to learn and and but it's worth investing in learning how to do something different. And so work and, and again I'll th this phrase working backwards in the 2008 letter Bezos said working backwards from customer needs often demands that we acquire new competencies and exercise new muscles. Never mind how uncomfortable and awkward feeling those first steps might be. So one, they acknowledge we might not know how to do it, but it's worth it to try and figure it out because it helps our customers. Well, from the very beginning, Amazon had three customer pillars and they continue to talk about them and focus on these pillars. The first is low prices. The second is best selection. And the third is fast, convenient delivery. And again, in that 2008 letter, Bezos talks about those pillars. In fact, what he says is, we have a strong conviction that customers value low prices, vast selection, and fast, convenient delivery and that these needs will remain stable over time. And I love this next sentence. It is difficult for us to imagine that 10 years from now, 2018, right? Um, customers will want higher prices, less selection and slower delivery. Our belief in the durability of these pillars is what gives us the confidence required to invest in strengthening them. And again, all on behalf of the customer. So another aspect that Amazon builds into its system is automating the service aspect. And so here's how Bezos talks about it in the 2012 letter. We build automated systems that look for occasions when we've provided a customer experience that isn't up 
to our standards. And those systems then proactively refund customers. Now think about that. If I'm obsessed over the customers, if I can build in an automated way to monitor when we are not meeting those high standards and automatically refund, how interesting is that? Is that another aspect of customer obsession? And the example that I talk about in the book is actually a um, um, a reporter that was watching the show Casablanca on Amazon Prime Video, and he was trying to write an article about some principles in that movie, and so he kept fast-forwarding it and rewinding it and trying to play a scene over again and and maybe writing down, um, you know, what happened, and um, he got an email from Amazon that said, we've noticed that your viewing experience with Casablanca was not up to our standards. And so we've refunded, I think it was $2.99, right? Three bucks for the rental that you paid for that show. Well, think about that. Automated systems, they noticed. That's the first thing. How many times do you notice when a customer is having a bad experience? Do you have have systems in place to alert you to that so that you can take proactive action. And, you know, that may not be automating that return process, but it may be a flag to call and follow up with that customer because of this or that. So these are all examples of customer obsession and, and what it means at Amazon. And so I encourage you not to just think, oh, I've got that. I don't need to hear more about it, but to really think about where can you improve the experience? And, and the way I like to phrase it is, where does your customer experience friction that you can remove? in your, your buying process, in your service process, in your, you know, whatever. Um, and and I'll, I'll give you a real quick personal example. I uh, had a had an annual physical at my doctor's office, and I was handed, you know, I've been in there, obviously, for a number of years now. I was handed a clipboard with all these paper forms I had to fill out. And on every form, I had to put my name, the date of birth, and to, and that date, you know, today's date. Well, why? <laughs> you know, I kept thinking, this is the same information. Why do I have to write it over and over and over again? That's a point of friction. Could they do something? Um, maybe an iPad that gathers that same information, but now it's already electronic that they can put in their system, and it carries forward the information I already enter into that. But again, where are those points in your business that you can start focusing on your customer? So that is principle number four, obsess over customers. Principle number five is apply long-term thinking. And again, with Bezos especially, this is really important. And, and he, he addresses this right away in the 1997 letter. And he says, we believe a fundamental measure of our success will be the shareholder value we create over the long term. Um, and then later in the letter, he says, we are working to build something important 
something that matters to our customers, something that we can tell our grandchildren about. And again, both of those are coming out of the 1997 letter. Now think about that. That was what, 20 years ago, um, 22, do, do the math quick in my head. 22 years ago, Bezos is already thinking about what he can tell his grandchildren about in the building of Amazon. And they were brand new. There was still, the jury was out whether they were even gonna make it. But he's thinking that far ahead. And that is one of his strengths. And I think one of Amazon's strengths. He goes on in that letter um, to talk about, again, re focusing relentlessly on customers, but also really flying in the face of typical Wall Street um, expectations of quarterly earnings. Um, and he says, we will continue to make investment decisions in light of long-term market leadership considerations rather than short-term profitability considerations or short-term Wall Street reactions. So again, he's setting the stage very early saying, we're not going to focus on quarterly. We'll monitor and you know do the, the, the legal requirements, reporting, and all those kinds of things. But for us, we're focusing on the long term, which is why when Amazon first started, they didn't make any money for probably 10 years. They didn't make any profit because it was all plowed back into, again, those, what did he say? Long-term market leadership considerations. They were building infrastructure. They were building a fulfillment network that is unrivaled now with anybody. Um, they were thinking long term. And just another quick example of when Bezos thinks long term, what that means. He, he owns uh, 300,000 acres uh, in West Texas, big ranch. Uh, his uh, grandfather had had a ranch there, and and he he bought that property quite a bit a long time ago. Uh, one, that's where Blue Origin is um, has their rocket launch center, uh, is in West Texas, and and that's an example of long term thinking. He started Blue Origin in 2000, pretty early in this process. He didn't have billions of dollars at that point. He started Blue Origin because he. He is and was convinced that we need to move more and more manufacturing and people into space. And so he knew that they, they, he, somebody had to create a less expensive way to get payloads, people, other things into space than what NASA had created. And, and now fast forward, we really have three, right? We have Blue Origin with Bezos, we have SpaceX with Elon Musk, and we have Virgin Atlantic with Richard Branson, the, the Space Barons. Uh, if you're interested in that story, there's a great book uh, put out called The Space Barons that talks about those three and kind of the history of, of what happened. But he is building the infrastructure that will be needed in order to build those new businesses in space. 
but he knew it wasn't going to happen for probably a couple of generations, but somebody had to start somewhere. And so he started with Blue Origin. And it again, a very interesting example of thinking long-term, really multi-generational uh, thinking. And so in your business, are you thinking long-term? Are you thinking multi-generational? Um, in the decisions you make today and in what you invest in today, maybe even knowing they're not going to pay off for several years. And again, that's part of the, um, the growth principles that Amazon applies in what they do every single day. I, I, I'm, I'm debating about whether to tell you about the other crazy one. Um, I think I will. I talk about it in the book. On that same property in West Texas, Bezos has funded and it and a nonprofit group is building a 10,000 year clock. This is a clock literally designed to run for 10,000 years. Um, every second is one year. Millennial, the every millennial, the cuckoo comes out. And for Bezos, it really is a visible demonstration of what long-term thinking may look like. Now, you may think it's just a billionaire with you know too much money and he doesn't know what to do with it. Maybe a little bit of that is kind of a cool idea and how do you engineer it to be self-sustaining and right, all of those kinds of things. But it really is this idea of we need to be thinking, are we being a good ancestor? Meaning, if my grandchildren or my grandchildren's grandchildren look back, what have I done to help them? And, and again, thinking of that long-term idea. All right, that is principle number five. Principle number six is understand your flywheel. Now I'm asked actually quite often, you know, what principle do you think is most important or what principle resonates with you the most? And my answer is always, that's like asking me which of my grandchildren I love best. I picked 14 for a reason. They're there for a reason. And each principle stands on its own, but they also all interact with one another. But if I was absolutely forced to pick one, I think this principle number six, understand your flywheel, is perhaps the most important and the most difficult to implement. So what is it? Well, uh, it's literally started with a book many of you may actually have on your shelf, which is um, this book here called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, and the subtitle is Why Some Companies Make the Leap from Good to Great and Others Don't. Well, chapter eight of this book of Good to Great is called The Flywheel and the Doom Loop. Now, if you've got this on your shelf somewhere like mine, you can see I got, you know, been around a while, pull that out and just go to chapter eight. You don't have to read the whole book, but go to chapter eight and, and read about the flywheel and the doom loop again. But for Amazon, here's what happened. Here's the background story. In 2000, in August of 2000, Jim Collins was invited by Bezos to an 
off-site all-day strategy meeting with the senior leadership team. This book, Good to Great, was actually published that fall. So the book wasn't even out yet. But um, Collins spent the entire day with the senior leadership team talking about Amazon's flywheel and helping them understand the concept and more importantly, helping them actually draw out Amazon's flywheel. Um, and, and so what is a flywheel? Well, if you're mechanically inclined at all, it's a you know big heavy wheel that's maybe on a motor or on uh, a, a, you might be thinking of it like a, a, a what do I wanna say, grain mill, right? Where it's really heavy and really hard to get started. So you push more energy into getting it going. But once you put that energy in, it takes less energy to keep it going, right? Because of the momentum that you've created by the inputs that you've put in. Well, in Amazon's case, that senior leadership team literally came out of that day meeting with a diagram. You can find it, it's in the book and you can find it on Amazon's website of their flywheel. And for Amazon, the center of the flywheel, the purpose of the flywheel was growth. That was their key metric, their key thing that they wanted to do is they wanted to grow. And in order to grow, the inputs that they had were all around customers, selection, price. Remember back to those customer pillars we talked about. And, and here's how Bezos describes it in the 2014 letter. Um, the success of, of this hybrid model accelerated the Amazon flywheel. I won't, we won't talk about what he was talking about before that. So here's how he describes Amazon's flywheel. Customers were initially drawn to our website, parens or brackets, by our fast growing selection of Amazon sold products at great prices with a great customer experience. By then, allowing third parties to offer products side by side. So again, think about the website Customers had a great experience by being able to find what they wanted at low prices. That generated word of mouth. That word of mouth generated more people coming to the website. When they added third-party sellers in early 2000 to that, that added more selection, more price competition, so pricing again lowered. So when they added those third-party products, we became more attractive to customers, right? Because they could find more things, which drew more sellers because the customers were coming. This also added to our economies of scale. So think about that. A fulfillment center may cost, I don't know how much, 10 million, 15 million, $20 million to build. The more customers you have, the more packages that fulfillment center processes, the lower the cost for each of those packages. So they were able to reduce their costs further and they were able to negotiate with manufacturers because they had higher volume for better pricing. Better pricing brought more customers. More customers allowed them to negotiate better pricing. You see the fly, see the inputs? Every one of those inputs, if they focus on the input, the output will take care of itself. Um, 
where, where, so this also added to our economies of scale, which we passed along by lowering prices and eliminating shipping fees for qualifying orders. Again, this is 2014. So that's how he describes the importance of the flywheel. So my, my question to you really is, what is the flywheel for your business? You know, growth may be it. You may not, by the way, have a customer pillar of low prices. If you're a luxury brand, low prices isn't what you want, but that customer pillar may be a, a differentiated experience that they have with you and your brand, right? So the first question is, what are those inputs that get your flywheel turning? And then the second is, how do you make sure you execute those inputs flawlessly? So the problem with a flywheel is any one of those pieces stop working correctly, that impacts the entire process. That's why it's hard to understand. And this is, this is a hard process. This is not something easy. And you've got to execute it well to keep it going. Well, again, that's been the focus for, um, for Amazon from 2000 to today. And in fact, Bezos thought it was such a secret sauce idea for Amazon that he did not want anybody to talk about their flywheel outside of Amazon's inner circle. So some resources for you with this. Obviously, the chapter eight, good to great. Jim Collins in 2019 actually wrote a very small, I think it's only 50 pages, booklet. He called it a monograph specifically on the flywheel and and gave examples from multiple kinds of industries of how they developed their flywheel and, and people that Collins and his team worked with. One example was an elementary school principal, right? So this flywheel principle applies regardless of what kind of business or organization that you are. So it's obviously available on Amazon. I would recommend those two resources for diving deeper into the flywheel idea and seeing how that might apply and work for your own organization. So the second cycle is build, obsess over customers, apply long-term thinking and understand your flywheel. Our next show will go into the third cycle called Accelerate. And um, I look forward to talking with you about the four principles in that cycle next month. <laughs>